It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome into episode 257 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Craig Morgan. Will the last Coyotes employee please turn out the lights? And Jamie Eisner. I'm back. That's, uh, I'm Luke Lipinski, and I apologize to all of you, other than Gilbert Anthony, for the return of Jamie Eisner, who looks very smug in his return. Jamie, well, let's pretend that we missed you for the last few weeks. How have you been? Okay. Cool. Uh, I've right. been busy. Oh, okay. No, okay, no, cool. no bad. No, no, let's let's give us no, your life story. No. Uh, well, busy. it started. No, I've been. It's been busy. Football season's getting here, and it's it's coming with a fury. Uh, so it's been it's been a little bit tough. But between that and then preparing to move and all that other fun stuff, it's been. Uh, wait, 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 wait. What? I've already revealed. I've revealed uh, this on the podcast. Come on, give us the details now. Give us the this, details. This isn't uh, Chicago South Loop, October. Right. Good. Good. So. Deal. Okay, I am, so I'm walking. Okay. F- no, wait. So I'm walking from the record for Here most hundred. And, no, not oh. yet. I will be. Uh, I'll be walking from the record of most 110 plus degree days in Arizona history, right into a Chicago winter. Oh, that's so, not quite. October can be a good month. So you know, you'll get one month. You'll get one month, you- and then it'll rain all of November. December will just be kind of dead and brown. And then January and February and March will be absolutely miserable and horribly cold. Chicago, that's uh, that's Stan Bowman country, isn't it? It Yes, it is. I'll be a stone's (laughs) throw from Soldier Field. uh, So I can can watch the Bears implode this year with the quarterback situation. I like the location. I like the location. That's good. It's a great city. It really is a great city. Just further than Mitch Trubisky could throw a football, so you're Ow, just out of his is, range. You know, this mm. is paining me, and, and I had to listen to you guys talking fantasy football before we started, <laughs> so let's get to hockey, please. All hey, right. Let's... Uh, we, we have fans of the Natty Hattie podcast that DM me and ask me fantasy football questions, so there is, a, there is plenty of crossover. That's because good. Let, let them do that on their else. own time. It's because they think you're Jamie Eisenberg. <laughs> there, there are people who still think that, and I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Craig? How do you feel about replacing Jamie Eisner with Jamie Eisenberg? I'd be all for that, actually. I he think that like, would help. I think that would help the profile of our show. Oh, absolutely! He does five podcasts a week, and he knows what he's talking about. All right. Wow that that felt like Oof. that was that was just hurtful. Oof. Okay. I didn't say this. Jamie doesn't know. I just said that Jamie does. Well, it was implied, or I inferred oh. it at least. Um, let's start with the, uh, the news from late last week. The NHL took a couple days to pause with all the, uh, the, the social justice issues going on. Um, 
you know, it ultimately, I think, made the most sense for the NBA to do it because they very clearly had a, a reason and a direction for why they were doing it. But baseball and, and the NHL jumped in over the next couple of days as well. And look, I totally support it. Um, it's not like they canceled the season. They pushed it back a couple of days. Uh, and I, uh, on some level, I almost um, I have to appreciate their commitment to it even more because I have to think the players are probably sick of being in the bubble at this point. So just sitting around for a couple of days and you know, it sounds like they made good use of the time and, and sort of got more aware of all the issues and everything. I mean, again, I go back to the NBA. The NBA took it to the next level of I think a lot of people are a lot more aware now than they were six months ago. The NBA pushed for actual tangible change and more opportunities for people to vote and, you know, all that stuff. This doesn't need to be a political podcast, but it was certainly a big part of the sports landscape last week. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I know the, the NHL was facing a lot of criticism for not doing it immediately, but it takes time to organize those things. I, I felt like it was up to them one way or the other, to be honest. They made the decision to do it. I don't have criticism for I don't know why people have a problem with this. I, I just don't get why people have a problem with this. They made the decision to do it. It's their decision, their decision alone. I support it. I think it's a good thing. But we're back to playing now. I, I don't know. I, go ahead, Jamie. I, I can see you're about to talk. <laughs> well, it, it's more better late than better late than never. Yeah, um, but I think that okay. on that front, look, the reality is, is when it comes to these these specific social issues, the NHL is always going to be behind. And it's the demographics of the NHL, the socioeconomic status of the NHL is just different. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not, I'm not excusing it, but it's also it's different. And when it, there's issues that are more front of mind for players on the average NHL player than MLB or NBA or NFL. I mean, they're, they're, that's, this yep. is where those demographics play in. I'm glad they did something. I'm glad they didn't stick their head in the sand and pretend like they, like they've used to, where it's just like stick their fingers in their ear and oh, you know, la, 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 la. There's no problem here. We're just going to go on. Right. Uh, and I'm glad that they did. And I'm glad that players t- took a stand, uh, you know, particularly some players on the Dallas stars as well. They've been pretty consistent throughout this process, like Tyler Sagan. But uh, I don't know. Again, I, I can't be critical. I understand in the moment it felt a little weird at the time as MLB was canceling, a certain MLB teams were canceling their games, as the NBA was canceling their games, the WNBA was canceling their games to have hockey go on like nothing happened. But they course corrected pretty quickly the next day there. So I, yep. I don't know how you can be heavily critical of, of that. Right. Yeah. And then the, the sight of all the players at the podium too, that was, that was a pretty cool yeah. visual. Go ahead, Luke. That's, Sorry. that's a great, no, I mean, that's a great point. I, I like that the way they did it was Ryan Reeves sort of took the lead. And uh, as the story goes, Kevin Shattenkirk got a hold of him and they're not even in the same bubble, not on the same team or anything. And was like, how do we do this? And, and you know, to your point, Craig, people are going to be upset that they, that they paused for two days. People are also upset that they didn't pause instantly. I mean, if you go back to that day, you know, Milwaukee Bucks didn't necessarily tell even the other NBA teams, even the poor Orlando Magic that were warming up for that game that that they were going to do what they did and you know the Flyers and Islanders game had already started that day and the Bruins Lightning game was pretty close to starting so to me if, if you're looking at that first day and saying they should have stopped something right there it really would have just been the Colorado Dallas game they didn't but like Jamie said they corrected quickly the next day and, and it seemed it seemed genuine when they did it it didn't seem like a PR stunt because the players were sort of leading the way and, and that to me is the most important thing. And I think two points I want to make on this one in totality across the sports world, it needs to be clear that it's the players that are making these decisions. The leagues are reacting and in some cases better than others, but they're reacting to the situation. It's the players that are really forcing the hand here. 
And two, when it comes to that, that, you know, that lineup at the podium, I think that is what I was really encouraged about because it felt like earlier in the postseason, uh, with that really good speech that Matt Dumba gave, that it felt like he was out there on an island. Like it felt like he was out there and everybody else, they were supportive, but it was like, it was Matt, it was Matt Dumba and then everybody else. Yep. This felt like a more collective effort, which I think was really encouraging. And again, I think, I think the NHL got this right in the end. Like, like I, I don't know if anything would have been, they could have done better or changed any differently by canceling one of the games at the end of, at the end of the first night. Like we said, they course corrected. Uh, I like the statements that they came out with, and, and I encourage all the players. I'm encouraged by all the players that actually, uh, of all races, of all levels of play, of all levels of age, coming together on that podium there, because I think that that message is is as important as anything else. Is that we're not letting one or two or three players, particularly in the NHL, where again the demographics are heavily Caucasian. A lot of you know, it, it just it is what it is. You have to avoid that temptation to just let one or two or three players on an island be supportive and be outspoken. It needs to be a collective effort. And I like that step forward that the NHL took with that statement at the podium. And then Dale Talon ruined it all. Well, (laughs) yeah. Or or so we've heard. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even really know what the, yeah, (laughs) I don't either. I I mean, I I don't know that that warrants much discussion, but it just, it, you know, the, the reports that you hear that, ugh, wow, really? Well, I mean, this is, I know people want an escape and this is going to be a playoff podcast, but I would just say this in closing on this topic. I mean, if you think of where the NHL was a year ago, even, you know, and what has changed in the last year, and we talked about this, I believe even last summer, maybe it was two summers ago, you know, my, it, it doesn't take a genius to look and say, okay, the NBA has a lot more African-American players than the NHL. It's not difficult to figure that out. My stance on it, the, the more I talk to African-American players in the NHL and other just players around the league or people around the league, it's not so much a malicious intentional discrimination so much as just sort of obliviousness. And, and, you know, we've, we've gone into this in the past where, you know, hockey in a lot of ways is a rich person sport and it cuts a lot of people of all races out of the game. And it's something they have to fix. But when you look at the actual malicious stuff, whether it's Don Cherry or Bill Peters, or maybe the stuff with Dale Talon, I mean, a lot has changed in the last year, not to say the league or the sport is anywhere near where it needs to be, but (laughs) It is crazy to think of where this league was 12 months ago because even though 12 months ago right now in 2020 feels like 700 years ago, it wasn't. Wow. All right, everybody just yeah, stopped. You, know. you guys still oh, – Philadelphia just scored. Is that why you guys just stopped? Um, all right, the Flyers scored, so I'm unhappy and don't want to do any more of the show, but we're going <laughs> to anyway. We're going to press on. Let's get into some of these series. Uh, let's start with Boston and Tampa. And guys, refresh my memory. I, I – <laughs> I'm worried that we may have all picked the same team. Thank you. (laughs) Did we all pick the same winners in all these series? No, we did not. I I don't know. I I set mine in when you guys were talking, like, anonymously. I wasn't even part of it. I don't even know who you guys picked. Anonymously? Wait. Anonymously anonymously would be troublesome because, you know, (laughs) somebody needs to know. (laughs) You know when you put your name on something, it's not anonymous, right, Jamie? That's true. I Um, took the Islanders, so – in this series in Tampa, Boston? Right, Tampa, Boston? No, 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 no. What? No, That's what no, we're talking no. about. Oh, oh I thought you were saying in all the scraps. series. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about all the series, but no, yeah. Luke yeah. kind of did. We're all confused now. Luke confused us all. But in, all right. I think we all, we all took Tampa, right? Yes. We all took start Tampa. with that. Let's go one um, series at a time, Luke. Let's, let's crawl was, before we walk. I said Tampa Bay and Boston. Who did you guys take? Um, did Tampa anybody Bay. take Tampa in five? I, don't, I think I took them in seven. I did as well, seven. Yeah. What's um, 
is is this not an indictment on the Bruins? I mean, they've been really good for a long time, but for this series to end in five games, was that more of a Boston just kind of ran out of gas, which is weird after four months off, or is Tampa finally figuring it out? Because to me, it sort of seems like the latter, and I do think Pasta was probably more hurt than we all realized. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think pa- Pasternak was hurt. I, you could see that at times when he was on the bench. Even after he scored that goal, he was grimacing. There, there's something wrong there. But beyond that, Boston didn't have the depth that I thought they had. At least it didn't show yeah. up in this series, and that was really surprising to me. And maybe Tampa Bay had a lot to do with that. They're, they're getting contributions up and down the lineup. And even without Steven Stamkos, they're, they're doing this. It's, it's remarkable. And, and maybe this is just the response to last year. We've talked about this a lot, how much this has fueled them, having lost that series last year after that incredible regular season. But they do look like a team that's playing at another level right now. Yeah, that, that's where I lean to as well. This is more about Tampa winning than Boston losing. Uh, the depth that Boston typically has, and we saw in the regular season, just did not show up in this series. And like you said, not only does Tampa Bay win without Stamkos, they win without Kucherov for the majority of Game 5, um, if you include those overtime periods as well. So th- th- this is the peak lightning. Like This is yeah. what we always expect from Tampa in the regular season. From October to April, this is what we expect Tampa to do to even really good teams. It just hasn't translated in the last couple of years into the postseason. I guess maybe they just need to start playing in August and September to really get things going. But they're, I mean, they're really scary right now. I mean, to win, win four straight in the manner that they did with the injuries they've suffered, if they can get healthy and get by likely the Islanders, uh, I mean, this is, this is a three, really, really dangerous 3-1 flyers right now, by the way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, Philadelphia could certainly come back in that series. I don't think they will. But sticking with Tampa for a second, this is this is one of those stats that I think everybody just sort of forgets. This is their fourth trip to the conference final in the last six years. Mm-hmm. So as much as yeah. they were, you know, an embarrassing exit last year, getting swept in the first round of that, after that crazy season to get swept by the eighth seed in Columbus, and the year before to just – I know they didn't they quit, quit, but they looked but like they, they, they quit. They looked like they quit. But that was we the conference it. final. Yeah, yeah, no, we did. We you, watched it at Yard House. You and I watched it together at, a yard, at, at the bar at Yard House at Desert Ridge and could not fathom what was happening to this Tampa Bay Lightning's team in Game 7, who, by the way, quit late in Game 6. Yeah. Like, but, it wasn't like it just started. Like it, And then that debacle against Columbus last year, it just – I'm glad they finally got over that hump because the talent level is too great. And, and quite frankly, this is a team that in the, the broad scheme of things, and I know there's kind of – there's kind of like the two different eras of this team. There is the Steven Stamkos in his prime team that lost to the Blackhawks in the cup final era. And then there's kind of the more modern era, even though they kind of run together in that stretch that you talk about. feels like two separate teams. Coming out of this stretch, which they still need to do. They still have to win eight more hockey games. But coming out of this stretch without a cup would have felt like a massive disappointment for a team that has accumulated as much talent as they have and been able to keep everybody together. Yeah, and they're yeah. going to have a tough time still when they get to the cup final, whoever they play in, oh, sure. from, from the West. But I can't imagine them losing to the Islanders or the Flyers. Uh, so many contributions that, you know, and it's not like these guys aren't household names, but Andre Pallad is having an unbelievable postseason. Victor Hedman should have won more Norris trophies by now. He, when you watch him, the way he impacts the game, both with the puck and away from the puck, he's just a remarkable player. And then Braden Point, as I put in the notes, Cy, a guy who went in the third round, uh, for a local franchise that we talk about always needing a center. He was there. He was available. And he is an elite, pick, right? Yeah, he's an elite player as well. Tampa is just loaded, and these, and they're playing like it now. They're finally playing like it. 
I want to go back to what you said about Hedman and Jamie, we didn't include you on this text thread, but Craig and I were talking about something oh, we're cool. going to do in, it in happens a few often. weeks, probably when the season's <laughs> over, Nice. We'll, we'll probably go through and, and make some sort of, we're each going to have our top five centers, wings, defensemen, and maybe goalies for the upcoming season. You know maybe I goalies. That was like a, like an aside there. It was just, <laughs> was that, that, what was that? Well, you know, but, you know, I played the position. Well, played is a strong word for what I did, but. Yeah, that's, that's why I brought, that's why okay. I said it in such a Thank way. You. I forgot Thank my you. orange. I was going to wonder if Kat orange. Silverman's listening. Okay. If she is, she probably just threw her phone across the room in anger. Um, but the point to that is I think a lot has changed in those in, in, in each of those rankings over even the last year or so. Victor Hedman, though, I mean, if we're if we're starting a team for just next year, we're not talking about age, contract, you know, what upside of a guy like Miro Heiskin. Victor Hedman's still my number one defenseman in the NHL, and he's showing it in these playoffs. He is. He's so complete. He's just so complete as a player. Agreed, and I don't think there's much hesitation. Like I think it, that's the number one defenseman, and I don't think you think about it that much. But like Roman Yossi or John Carlson is going to win the North. John Carlson wins the North. It's going to feel so strange after the playoffs. It sure is. It so, sure is. So Victor Hedman has got, and we've, we've talked about this before in the North's conversation, but like Victor Hedman's kind of got that run of, if you had to bet your, everything you owned at the beginning of a season on a player finishing in the top five in North's voting, there's no player you would consider before Victor Hedman. Yeah. Like he's always going to be in that conversation. He might not win it every year. Yeah. But he's going to he, – and he's obviously clearly he's not going to win it every year. But he's always in that conversation. He's always going to be the, the – there'll be the new, exciting, whether it's a, whether it's a Carlson – whether it's Carlson K, Carlson C, somebody else coming up. There's always going to be that option, and it's going to be versus Victor Hedman. Like, that's the conversation we have every single year as long as he's healthy. Craig, you brought up Andre Pallad, who's been just a monster in these playoffs. I mean, when you go back to that year when they were in the cup against Chicago, and that year it sort of felt like it, while well, you both took a drink at the same time. Are you guys like, are you at a bar together? And I just don't realize it. I wish. Um, well, yeah, I remember bars. Um, remember people? <laughs> vaguely. In person? Uh, the, the year that, that Tampa made the cup and lost to Chicago, that was sort of like ahead of schedule. As Jamie said, Steven Stamkos was in his prime, but none of these other guys, Tyler triplets. Johnson, Andre Pilat, yeah, the triplets, Vic, uh, Nikita Kucherov, and, and then Victor Hedman. Um, since then, it's really just been Kucherov. Like, Tyler Johnson's been all right. Andre Pilat's been all right. Andre Pilat has been a monster in these mm-hmm. playoffs. They look a lot more like that team from six years ago now. No question. I thought, I thought Craig was going to talk there. again. Oh, <laughs> But, yeah, but no, I mean it's yeah. He he's had a phenomenal postseason run. I, I'm still surprised going back to this because I think Kucherov would have been my third pick of the three if you asked me way back when who was going to be the biggest star of that group. And then he is just, I mean, saying he's lapped the other two is not even giving him enough credit. Oh, yeah. yeah. But having again that the, we brought up the depth that we didn't see from Boston in the series. That is the depth we have seen from Tampa Bay, and that's something that they've they've been able to do for years and years. Aside from that six-game playoff run starting in game six against the Capitals in the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago where they just completely, you know, you know what the bed. Every yeah. other time, that has been a huge staple of why they've been so successful and why they've been able to overcome multiple Stamkos injuries over multiple seasons. I, I will also say, to that addition of Blake Coleman midseason, you know, it's, it's a fine line you walk as a GM because you don't want to add a guy that doesn't fit what you're doing. Otherwise, it's just a waste of a move. But you also, you know, if you're a team like Tampa that keeps getting to the playoffs but not going as far as you should, you do need to add a piece that's missing. And he was he was just the right addition. He wasn't already like all the players they have, but he was able to fit in seamlessly. And they just – I mean, they are doing this without Steven Stamkos. Like, think about that. Stamkos hasn't played a single game in these playoffs. Right. 
And Tampa's beat, and they just made very short work of Boston. You don't do that unless you're doing a lot right. And the other thing about this team, they're winning games in overtime in these playoffs. If you want to win the cup, you have to win playoff games in overtime. Yeah, it's interesting you bring in uh, bring up the uh, trade deadline acquisitions or the, the, the additions to the team because when you flip it over and look at what Boston did, we all liked their moves at the time, but Nick Ritchie, yeah, he, was, he, so he, he was a detriment to them in the postseason. He took yeah. bad penalties. He just was not a good player. And, and when I look at this Bruins group now, you know, we talk about Tampa. Jamie just mentioned that if they, hadn't, if they don't win a cup, it's going to feel like a disappointment. I still can't believe that this Bruins collection – may just win one cup. And it, it, it feels like this is the end of the line in, in many ways. Uh, Zdeno Char obviously is, is in doubt at this point. This is the first time the Bruins have actually haven't offered him a contract extension before the season ended. It feels like it's the end for him. We know some of their key players are getting a little older. Is this Bruins team just going to start to decline now? And, and wow, what happened to the blue line, by the way, in, in this series? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I, don't, I still think Boston's going to be a dangerous team next year. But, yeah, I mean, you look at when they won that cup now, we're, we're going almost a decade ago. I mean, yep. the guys that were there, Marshawn was there, Bergeron was there, Chara. But for the most part, the rest of these guys, uh, David Krejci's been playing since the early 1800s, so he was there too. But most of these guys that are on this team currently that should have won the cup last year, if not for a terrible line change, and were the best team in the, the regular season this year, it might be the end of the line for this group because a guy like Tory Krug's a UFA and yeah. we don't know what's up with Chara and Greslik's an RFA and Jake DeBrusque is an RFA. I mean, there's, yeah. this team's not going to look quite the same next year. Yep. Yeah, and they, don't, they lack the depth down the middle that they had before. And, and I think even though they have the same guys there, like David Krejci is, is still fine, he's serviceable, but he is not the player he was two years ago. I mean, when, when he was operating at that 65, 70-point pace alongside Patrice Bergeron playing all the tough minutes, it, it, it was a huge advantage to that team. You know, Charlie Coral's fine, but like you start to look at the key points that we always talk about with these teams, and their they're center depth is okay, and their defensive depth is okay. Like Those are no longer major pillars of strength for this Boston team. Now, they've been, they've been fortunate to have somebody like David Pasternak who's going to be an MVP conversation at least in the next several years. And Marchand's really been playing at a high level, but we've seen that even with elite wings, if you're nothing special down the middle and nothing special on your blue line, you're not, you're not going to, it's going to be difficult to take that step to becoming a winning a conference and winning a cup. They were still a damn good team this year. They're going to be a damn good team next year. They've got two goaltenders that they really like. And, you know, I know Tuka Rass has unfortunately gotten some criticism, uh, for opting out in, in in the wake of Boston being eliminated here, but I don't think we need to touch on that idiocy. Yeah. Um, but well, other than to say, a he had a good reason, and b goaltending is not why they lost. No, Halak was fine. But again, just to me, it's it's, it's still going to be they're still going to be a good team. We're nitpicking here, and they they lost to another elite team. But all of the the warts that Craig brought up and that you brought up, Luke, are going to be present like that blue line could look very different next year they're uh, you know their center group is not getting any younger like all yeah. of a sudden those huge advantages they had over the rest of the conference and the rest of the league in a lot of cases aren't huge advantages anymore so they have become a very solid team but they're not this elite unit that they appeared to be especially early in the season last year patrice bergeron was not a Patricia Bergeron was not a difference maker in this series either. I think he no. had two points, two assists, and he was just kind of okay. He was just kind of there, and that was that was pretty surprising to me. And I've been wondering for a long time, 
And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that one series shows it, but I've been wondering for a long time when he's going to show his age, when we're going to start seeing some slowdown in a player who's just been so remarkably consistent on both sides of the buck for so long. It's going to happen really soon. And, it, boy, the Boston's in trouble. Because when those, those guys age, when those guys move on out, I'm not sure they have the pieces to be a good team anymore. You're going to be a mess whenever Patrice Bergeron retires because I know Jamie has that giant Leon Dreisaitl tattoo on his back, but Bergeron is definitely Craig Morgan's favorite player in the NHL, isn't he? Just the way he plays the game. Yeah, I, I mean, I just I didn't see a flaw in his game. And, and there were times where he didn't produce at an elite level offensively, and he probably was underrated because of that. But how many guys are better defensively than him uh, over the course of their career? He impacts the game in so many ways. Yeah, he's a fantastic player. It would be... It would be tough to watch him in decline, but I, I think it's coming. I think it's coming soon. Yeah, we're going to get into Coyote stuff after we get through these series. Real quick, before we move on to the next one, where do you see Zdeno Chara next year? Back with the Bruins, still in the league, or retired? I don't know. I really don't know. And he was he was noncommittal on anything when he was interviewed right after the series ended. He just he's going to take some time to think about it. He's not sure. Uh, let's skip Islanders Flyers for a second because that that game is about to wrap up. So the Islanders just scored, so it's three two. So maybe it's not about to wrap up. Let's uh, let's let's come back. Arzal to that just took a stick to the face. Uh, he, he's bleeding, so that <laughs> that's Power not a play good sign. Too? Ooh, now see, I want to go watch this. Um, let's skip ahead to Colorado and Dallas, two of the strangest teams in this entire tournament. Colorado looked so good in the, the round robin and so good, obviously, against the Coyotes and so good last night facing elimination down 3-1 with their third string goalie. But there have been stretches in this series where they have just looked miserable. And Dallas, they're a lot better than I thought they were at the start of this year. I'll say that. I just don't know where the offense came from. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. I don't get it. No well, idea. That's the uh, difference, yeah. I mean, you expect them to be – back in September, October, you expect Dallas to be winning a lot of boring two-to-one games. They are not a boring team. No, they suffocated no. you. They, play, they played solid defense. They got elite goaltending from whoever they put in net, whether it was Bishop or Hudobin, and they scored just enough to get by. Like, they, they were like the better version of the Minnesota Wild. Like, they were the Minnesota Wild with more talent. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and that's how they won games. And – I thought, especially considering the way that they played in the in the round robin round, I was like, "Oh, this team is going to." Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I I just watched the goal. Luke, are you like are you ahead of all of us? Are you in like oh, some no, you're future behind. time? Okay. Oh, you, the Brock Nelson goal? No, yeah, no, you, you're way behind. That updated like on my score app. What what I don't get about Dallas when you, when you do this over such a consistent period of time over the entire regular season, and then we saw what they did in the round robin play too. And granted, some teams didn't seem fully engaged. This is not a team that's had offense for the past couple seasons. So where is this coming from? I mean, Rick Bonus has talked about how they're making more offense out of the way they play defense. They're getting guys up into the rush. Okay, but didn't you think of that before? Wasn't, wasn't that an effort before? Why is it suddenly working now? It's crazy to see this. The, uh, the job Rick Bonus has done when you consider he had to step in midseason and take over a team he didn't expect to have to take over and, and kept them good throughout the regular season and, and, yeah, obviously switched something up in these playoffs where now they are a team that you never feel like they're beat. I mean, they can be down 3 nothing. We've seen them come back and win that game 7-3. to But uh, the decision to go with Ben Bishop in game five when everything – I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but you're cruising past Colorado. I don't fully understand making a change right then. When if Bishop, if you really feel like Bishop's ready, 
why wouldn't you just bring him back to start the Western Conference Final? Or look, if Hudobin goes out there and plays terribly in Game Five, then maybe you try it in Game Six. You don't you don't want to be switching in Game Seven. I get that, but uh, wow, did that ever backfire last night? Yeah, and, and maybe we may look back on this and say, okay, they had a they had a decent lead in the series. Maybe it was okay, but with a team like Colorado, man, I don't know about giving that team any kind of momentum, any any kind of good feeling about themselves because they are explosive. They can really hit you hard, and we'll see. We'll see now. I just I didn't get it either. I didn't think it made any sense. Yeah, that's right, Matt. Too like I I don't understand why you have a hot goalie, you've been playing well. I understand mm-hmm. Ben Bishop's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but I don't I don't just don't think you ever move on from a hot goalie in that moment. And you can never consider a a series just in hand, regardless of opponent. And again, my concern is that the Islanders, A, just tied the game and B, uh, (laughs) my concern, my concern there is mostly from a don't give any momentum. Colorado, I still think is the better hockey team on paper. It's, I just don't give that team enough momentum. And They're the I mean, team that I, can come back from down 3-1. Yes. 100% yeah, they can come they back. Absolutely. Can. Now, goaltending is going to still be a problem. I mean, they're, they're, they're on Michael Hutchinson and, <laughs> and, and, and like whoever they pulled out of the stands most recently. But it's... Hunter I mean, Miska had to drive from Minnesota to Edmonton, yeah. like between games one and two or something. He's the backup. It's, it's not... I, I remember, if you guys remember, Ryan Clark talked about this before the playoffs even started. What a... Just a revolving door the Avalanche has been in goal since Patrick Waugh retired in terms of the playoffs. Philip Grubauer was their second career leader in terms of victories in the postseason, which is crazy to think about. And now they're in this situation again. It's yeah, it's a real problem for that franchise. Maybe they want, uh, maybe they want to get a hold of a, you know, a a number one goaltender who may be on the block this summer. (laughs) I don't like where this is headed. Uh, Nathan Nathan McKinnon McKinnon for Antti Ranta, who says no. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the Coyotes would not say no, but that is no, never happening not. because Nathan McKinnon is maybe the best player in the NHL. Might be but, the best player. Is, is he? Like, let's talk about that right now. Is If you're starting a franchise. Let's... I will talk about it if you say in your voice, you know. You know I'm from Cole Harbor. That's it. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I think it, all right, so if you consider contracts, I think it's absolutely 100% yeah. no doubt Nate McKinnon. He's now making less than they, I do. Now let's pretend that it's well. the same. Well. Now let's pretend it's the same contract. Is it him or McDavid? If if you're telling me again, if you're telling me just for next year, I, I still think McDavid can do things that nobody else in the NHL can do. But it, Nathan McKinnon is undeniably a a better all around player than Connor McDavid. I, I mean, I, I don't know how you can watch the two of them play, and that's not a knock on McDavid, who I, I absolutely think the two, is the go two down best players in hockey. Like we're yeah. splitting hairs, but I mean, McKinnon is is just better all around right now. If you. I, Connor McDavid is the one that if he's on TV, I have to watch that game. And I think ultimately he's going to go down as one of the five best players in NHL history. I don't know if McKinnon will do that. But if you're talking about just I'm building my team for next year, I'm probably taking McKinnon, especially with the playoff experience he's getting. He's got a point in every game. He's going he's gonna he's gonna be in the postseason a lot, and he's gonna put up a lot of points in the postseason over the course of his career. I don't know. He might go down as one of the greatest players of all time. What what strikes me about the when you compare the two of them, McDavid does things with his speed. He creates so many, so many opportunities with his speed. Eddie Olchek was the one who said to me, I've never seen a player who seems to accelerate when they have the puck. It's hard to do, but he does it. So he makes so many things happen off of his speed. McKinnon is more like a bull. He will just wheel his way to the net. And then we, we saw what he did defensively against the Coyotes. I mean, he's back defensively. He's so fast. He's so good through the neutral zone both ways. 
And, and by the way, I, I was going to bring this up. I looked up points per game leaders all time in the postseason. He's number four all time. Two guys ahead of him, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, along yeah. with Barry okay. Peterson. Yeah. I think how much better it's going to be next year when he's, when he has a line with Taylor Hall. Like it's going to be, right. it's going to be fantastic. Rude. But 13 consecutive playoff games with at least a point. And let's be fair here. Most of these games, he's putting up two, three, sometimes four points. It's not like he's just squeaking by with a late secondary assist on an empty net goal by somebody else. He's the center of everything for a team that regardless of what they do against Dallas, they're probably my pick next year to win the cup. I mean, my, my pick, and I think, you guys may have been very similar to this, if not identical, at the start of these playoffs was Vegas-Tampa, and at the start of the year was yeah. Vegas to win the Cup. Um, but Colorado heading into next year, even if they can't come back from this uh, this deficit against Dallas, they're on the very short list next year. I know I know they were Jamie's number one pick to start this year. <laughs> and we're getting yeah. overtime, by the way, in Islanders, Flyers. Yeah, nice so We'll have to prolong that conversation just a little bit longer. Okay, well, of course, the other part of this series, and we're seeing two of the best young defensemen in the NHL on display. Two guys that actually went back-to-back in the 2017 draft. <laughs> Tell you what, if you're Philadelphia or New Jersey and you took Nico Heischer and Nolan Patrick, nothing against those guys. Um, Patrick hasn't lived up to it yet. He's had the injuries and stuff. Uh, Heischer hasn't looked up to the number one billing yet, but uh, Miro Heiskanen going third and Kale McCarr going fourth that year. And actually, I believe Elias Pettersson went fifth. And then the rest of that draft, other than like one or two guys, other than like Kyler Yamamoto, has been pretty uh, pretty dry so far. But those two, they're the front runners for the uh, the best young defenseman in the NHL. I know Quinn Hughes because he plays for Vancouver is the greatest thing ever, but he hasn't looked like it in the playoffs. No, uh, here's a I reached out to a combination of scouts, executives, and coaches, twelve of them to be exact. And ask this simple question: Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, or Miro Heiskanen? Who you got? Okay. Ten of the ten of the twelve took Heiskanen. Yeah. Right. One one took McCarr. None took Hughes. Several noting Quinn Hughes can't defend. Who was the who was the twelfth one then? I, I'm sorry. Was there no vote for one? There was no vote. Yeah. Oh wow. No. I don't know. Tough tough pick. Tough pick. Oh, tough to I, call. No. Yeah. That that's yeah that's yeah with anonymity. Come on, man. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that's a, a gotcha question. Like, no, uh, no, no. Maybe, maybe fearful that I would use it. I don't know. But that's that's pretty telling, isn't it? And 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 yeah. the, the overriding analysis of this is that Heiskanen impacts the game just as much without the puck as he does with it, and that's true. When you watch him play, he is a complete player. Neither of the other guys can say that. I think Makar has made strides on the defensive end. Quinn Hughes. I kind of agree, and we've seen him exposed yeah. badly in this series. Cannot defend in his own end. Yeah, and no, look, that's I mean, been a problem. I mean, that's been a problem for him before. This just yep. People wanted to overlook it all uh, just because he's in Canada. I'm hearing less chatter of the uh, Vancouver is the Cup favorite, and Quinn Hughes is the best young defenseman, or the best defenseman in the NHL. I'm, I'm hearing less of that now that Vegas is completely running over them. But uh, look, Quinn Hughes is still a very good young defenseman. I assume he will get better defensively. But the playoffs expose any holes in your game. And, you know, especially for those three, they're all still playing in the playoffs. So it's like now we're getting deeper. They're all getting invaluable experience. But we're also seeing a guy like Heiskanen, anytime, anytime you see an opposing player come down the ice with the puck and Heiskanen's between him and the net, you just kind of figure like, okay, he's got this. And that's, that's got to be the best feeling as a teammate when you look over and see, okay, Heiskanen, yeah, never mind. <laughs> we'll get the puck. Nobody's getting a good shot. That's 
that does so much for your team. I'm not saying he's the only reason Dallas is winning because Dennis Karyanov has like 148 goals right now. But, uh, you know, if Dallas won the cup, which I really don't want to see, Heiskanen would have to be on a very short list of Conn Smythe contenders, wouldn't he? No question. No question. What does he have? Like, does he have like 14 assists in the postseason from, from defense? It's insane. Um, and by the way, on, on, on the note of Quinn Hughes, and, and I hate this stat mostly, this is plus minus is only a stat that you should use when it's extreme. He's minus seven in this series. Yeah. That's, that's telling. He's just, he's a very good young player. He was only drafted three years ago, but they just, and I, I don't even think it's necessarily a Canada thing so much as a Vancouver, more so than like Calgary or Edmonton or certainly Ottawa. And even to a certain extent, Toronto is so self-loathing if anything goes wrong. But Vancouver just decided, hey, we got this guy. He's a really good young player, so he's the best. Not so fast. Not uh, He's definitely third out of those three. I mean, I, like you said, Craig, I think yeah, most scouts would agree it's Heiskanen, but McCarr is pretty clearly second. Yeah, and he should win He should win the Calder. If he doesn't, I'll be surprised. Yes. Uh, anything else on this Colorado series that we want to hit before we go? They're going to play again uh, tomorrow. So we should also mention Islanders and Flyers that have gone to overtime. And I'm attempting to put a small screen in the corner of this screen, so I may be distracted while you guys are talking, more so even than usual. Um, but the Islanders coming back with two goals in the final five minutes and now trying to eliminate Philadelphia in overtime. So, again, I guess let's hold off on that one in case somebody wins that game. And let's go to Vegas and Vancouver. Game five is tonight as we're recording this. Uh, and Craig's first, in all caps, his first um, topic in the notes, why isn't Vancouver winning the cup? Well, they're not as good as these other teams. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. You, and you saw this coming with St. Louis before I did. You, you thought St. Louis was ready for a fall, and St. Louis was not very impressive in the bubble. Uh, maybe, maybe Vancouver got a good draw. I, I, look, I, I still think there's some good talent on this team, and, and I don't mean to, to bag on Quinn Hughes. He's an exceptional player offensively, but he has some major holes on the other side of that game, uh, his game. And some of the, the flaws that we talked about with Vancouver before the postseason even started are showing up now. Their lack of depth, their lack of ability to defend in their own end. And really, it, it's, it's funny hearing some of the people talk about how they're playing fast. This is not a fast team either. This is not one of the faster teams oh. in the league. All of those things are showing up in this series against Vegas. They're they're a solid team. They're ascending, but they don't have the depth of a of a true you know conference finalist. They don't have the the, the defense of a, a true conference finalist. They can probably get there. They're they're on the positive swing of their progression curve, but uh, it's this is kind of where it's peaked for them. And, and I don't I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like not every team is ready to win the cup right away. They're not a team that is as comprised at the moment without getting extremely hot and getting extremely lucky is a team that's going to win the cup. But I think they did show plenty of progress this year. Bo Horvat's been sensational mm-hmm. uh, in the postseason. Le- lead, leads the league in goals uh, in this postseason. So I think all of the, you, you're going to have, again, him progress another year. You're going to have Pedersen progress another year. You're going to have Quinn Hughes, that, especially if he can shore up some of the defensive areas of his game. This is a team on the rise, but they need to fill in the other parts of their roster, particularly on their blue line, if this is going to be a team that's going to challenge the Vegases of the world and the Colorados of the world next year as to, to be the team that comes out of the West. And on the flip side of that, I, I mean, they do have some key pieces, right? They, they've got a franchise center. 
That's yes. such a huge yes. piece to put in. They've got a power play quarterback. Quinn Hughes is remarkable in, the, in those situations. So they've got some really good pieces. And then you have a guy like Bo Horvat really coming into his own. You can build on that. There are really good building blocks for Vancouver. But, yes, there are some big holes that they still need to fill. Patterson is, is so fun to watch. Oh, and, yeah. I, I, you know, much like – I don't know, you see this in the playoffs and you see a team that looks overmatched and they do really look overmatched by Vegas. But, you know, I wonder if we're going to look back and see Vegas sort of steamroll right to the cup. I mean, Vegas to me looks like the most complete team. And I don't know, Vegas-Tampa Bay final is, is going to, it's going to give us the best hockey if we get there. Now, there's no guarantees. You know, I don't know what to make of Dallas. And I certainly think if Colorado, if they come back and win that series, they could really, uh, they're going to be riding pretty good momentum. Although I don't know if they'll have a goalie for for the next round but um vegas right now just and craig and i talked about it last week with uh with replacement jamie matt layman you know that team it's not like they ever had a number one pick i mean they've only been around for a couple years there's not any bad players on that team there's not even really very many average they're just all good there's nobody great on vegas it's just every single player is is good to really good and yeah you can thank florida for whatever they were doing giving up march or so and Riley Smith and uh, and Minnesota for giving up Alex Tuck and you know some of the other teams. But Minnesota Columbus, and Florida yeah. were the most egregious. Yeah, Columbus Columbus at least was in a tough position with the way their their uh, their contracts were set up, where they kind of knew they were going to have to give up a guy like Carlson. But man, Minnesota and Florida should get their names on the cup if Vegas wins it this year. <laughs> and and I think that's something that that can't be lost on us when we look at Vegas because we've almost become accustomed to them just because they've always been good so that they always have been good. The difficulty to do what that organization has done and has been able to sustain literally out of thin air is remarkable. It's one of the most remarkable builds in professional sports history. And I don't think we fully appreciate that all the time. I think we've almost become spoiled by, oh yeah, it's Vegas. I mean, we're we're picking an expansion team to to win the cup going into what their third year, fourth year uh, at the beginning of the year. So it's, it's remarkable that there hasn't been a lull and, and the team continues to build. It continues to build all facets of their game up front on the blue line. Now they have two goaltenders that they really like that are both playing well in this postseason. It's really just remarkable that the job that they have done from top to bottom, from literally the jump. Yeah, you saw uh, Mark Stone say the other day that Shea Theodore is obviously turning into a Norris caliber defenseman. So that's that's a really good <laughs> addition for the team. But the other thing, and I saw this raised recently, when you look at the situation that many NHL teams are going to be in this offseason because of a flat cap, everybody's got bad contracts. Almost everybody. Vegas doesn't have any of that. They don't have any of the, that situation because they haven't been around long enough to have that sort of stuff. So they might... They might even be in a better position next season than a bunch of teams. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, and if you want to expand that further to the uh, the, the Seattle team when they come in, I mean, that flat cap, I don't think we're going to see Seattle take off the way Vegas did because, you know, make the cup the first year. The only reason that they didn't go on a deep run last year was because of that five-minute penalty against uh, yeah, the Sharks they, in the first they, round. They beat the Sharks in that series. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. You know history will look that way. They beat the Sharks in that series. Like, that – that was ridiculous. <laughs> I agree with you, but I especially like when Jamie doesn't acknowledge history the way it played. When, when they literally changed the rule because they screwed you up so bad, like I, yeah, no, but yeah, was, like they, they've just ridiculous. It was New Orleans. I don't know why I'm mad about that. I don't care, but I just make. Well, no, but I mean, it, it does sort of reinforce. I mean, this is the 
if they go to the cup this year, this could be the third straight year they were a cup caliber team. Even, you know, they are. They've been a cup caliber yeah. team all three years. That The year they made the cup their first year was actually probably their worst team. And I, you know, we have the, what was the quote from Pete DeBoer talking about the defense where he said, quote, we have more depth up and down our lineup. I knew it would eventually pay off. And we saw it in the third period of the second half of that back-to-back against Vancouver. I know a lot of Vancouver fans are up in arms about that, but he's 100% right. right. It's not even close. Yep. That's absolutely true. By the way, this, this Islanders Flyers game is just fire wagon hockey right now. It's crazy. The amount of high quality chances that have come in the first five minutes of this overtime. Oh, there's a really good one for the Islanders. They almost just put it away right there. I think Craig might be They've like had 30. like three of those. <laughs> it's very distracting. I'm going to minimize it again. But uh, anything else on this? Vegas, Vegas to me, and it's funny because they don't have a Nathan McKinnon or they don't have a Nikita Kucherov, um, but they've been they've been really smart with the trades they have made. They don't have any – they don't really have much of a prospect pool, but we talked about this a year or two ago. You know, it's sort of a different way to build a team because they were so good so quickly. They've kind of treated the rest of the league like their farm system. And so guys like Nick Suzuki get traded away, but you end up with guys like Max Pacioretty and he's played a huge role for them this season. He's had a renaissance season for them. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there are a bunch of Coyotes fans who have asked, why can't we be like Vegas? Why can't we be like the Islanders? Well, Vegas is a Vegas is an entirely different set of circumstances than anybody else. So that's really not a good comparison. We've, we've just talked about a bunch of these reasons. But when, when you look at the Islanders, somebody actually asked me, okay, New York doesn't have a, a franchise center either. Well, they got Matthew Barzell, who is really yeah. good. Yeah. And they got J.P. Pajot, who's, who's been fantastic too. So they have two really good centers. I, I would say, yeah, you're right. They don't have a franchise center. But I think Matthew Barzell is at least 1A, and then Pajot is is right there, too. They have very good play up the middle of the ice. Yeah, and look, Vegas is solid up the ice entirely. Like, which center group would you rather have of those three? Like, Kyrie's are third out of that list. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the thing I guess I would understand is if you are – we'll get to the Coyotes. I mean, if they really are going to try and rebuild, I think for any team that's trying to rebuild that's not going to get the benefit of a top one or two or three pick – Vegas or the Islanders, maybe more realistically, is the model to follow. But again, you got to have Barry Trotz if you're the Islanders. And Matthew <laughs> Barsal, another guy out of that 2015 draft. I don't remember yeah. what we set the over-under on in terms of Hall of Famers coming out of that draft. And I'm not putting Barzal in the Hall of Fame yet, but it's a pretty good draft. He was, what, like 15th, 16th, 17th yeah. in that draft? I mean, it's when you have a piece like that or you know, when, when there's just no weaknesses on your team like Vegas – yeah, I mean, that's what you want to aspire to do if you if you don't get the benefit of an Austin Matthews or Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid. But good luck doing it. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. But you're absolutely right. They have to find those guys later in the draft, and their entire history has been a failure to do so. Let me ask you this year before we move on: Who's Vegas goalie for uh, the 2020 2021 <laughs> season? It's a really good question, isn't it? Yeah, I stole I it from your notes. I don't know what they're going to do. I, what do you do? I mean, do you keep Leonard? Do you re-sign him? And does that does that anger Mark Andre Fleury or more accurately Alan Walsh? So we'll see more <laughs> memes. I, I don't know. That's that's a tough situation because Mark Andre Fleury is synonymous with that that franchise. And I know. Look, it's only three years old, so it's not like oh, he's been there for ten years. How could you do this to Mark Andre Fleury? But he's a pretty big piece of their history, so that'll be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to depend. I mean, are you going to give Laner a multi-year deal? Because uh, I don't think he's signing another one-year deal. Like he, I think he he hit that prove-it season this year and damn well proved it. So, uh, I, I don't in Chicago, no less. Yes, 
My guess is because of the contract situation, it's going to be Flurry. Uh, because that that it's I don't see a team making a move for him uh, right out of the gate. But look, the reality is that the are and that you guys probably know this more than I do. Is Vegas exempt from the upcoming uh, expansion draft? No, I think they they have to leave not. somebody out there. Yeah, they do. That yeah, they've been in long enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then because so then do, are you signing a goalie to basically potentially lose them in a year? So I mean that, that that's the other that's the other scenario think? if you sign Laner to a multi year deal because then at that point you're going to have to expose one of those two goalies, and again depending on I think I'm I'm looking around the league it's you know depending on what the Coyotes end up doing with Ranta depending on certain other situations that might be the best goaltender available for Seattle. Yeah, you know if you're if you're Flurry and let's just let's play this out and let's say Vegas does win the Cup this year with Leonard as the starter and you're Flurry you have four Stanley Cup rings at that point and you've been a major part of all four of those teams but you were only the starter in the Stanley Cup for one of them right? Am I am I forgetting something? Murray was in net for the uh, the series against San Jose and Nashville and then yeah. if Leonard was in net here for this uh, this upcoming Cup I mean what a what a just a very unique career. I mean, on top of yes. the fact that he is the face of an expansion team in Vegas. Uh, but yeah, to have four it could be taken by two expansion teams. Then <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he has to leave Seattle to the uh, you match as well. Um, looks like the Islanders are taking a penalty here in overtime. Yes, so they are. We're going to have to talk about this series. So I guess let's get to it now instead of doing a 19 hour podcast. Islanders flyers coming into this game, 16 different Islanders have points in this series. This is only game five tonight, just like the last round. Um, we've talked a little bit about Barzal and, and Pajot, but um, this team, how, is it just all trots and, and everybody buying in? I mean, this is the sort of team that we heard coming out of the break was supposed to struggle, right? Because it's going to take a little bit of time to get everybody back on the same page. Right. They they are boring, but at this point, they're kind of fun to watch simply because they have the puck 100% of the time. They really do. that, And that's a big part of it, right? Possession is such a huge part of this game, obviously. It, it always has been, but there's been a focus on it the last 10 years. But what is it about this coach? How has he gotten this done in three different places? What is it? I mean, when you look at the guy, I think I said this on the last podcast, Barry Trotz looks like a mob boss when you look at him and then you talk to him and you're like, oh my God, he's, he's like my uncle. He's the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> what does he say to all of these teams to get them to buy in completely? And why can't other coaches do this too? It's a great point. You know, I think it may be his most impressive um, example of doing that is getting Washington to buy in. Because now, you know, he goes to the Islanders. Yeah. He's like, hey, remember me? I just won a cup with Washington, you know, two years ago. So do what I say and you're going you're gonna to overachieve. But when you go to Washington and, and the knock on Ovechkin is always, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't back check. He doesn't play any defense. He just stands there and waits for shots. I mean, you got Ovechkin to buy in. It's not to take away from the players, although I'd love to with Washington, but that team wasn't winning cups until Barry Trotz got him over the top. And not to pour salt in the wound. Cup, cup, singular. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, yeah. cup. But, uh, but not to pour salt in the wound, but they're not winning them anymore, and they just had to switch coaches because they didn't keep Barry Trotz. Yeah, that, just an awful move. Just a, a dumbfounding move. Yeah. Um, as far as Philadelphia, what Drew has a golden night, right? It's like his yes. first playoff. First of the postseason, seriously. First of the postseason. <laughs> And I believe his second in his like his last twenty five playoff games or something. Yeah, and I brought, it's funny. I had that in the notes that he, he's no longer the greatest player in the league. We, we yeah, talked about this on the podcast, barely. and I also talked about how awful Matt Niskan has been in the series. And of course, he scored a goal in this in this game. So, well, maybe I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah, yeah, 
Start talking about whatever Islander hasn't scored yet because I don't even know who that is. Down the depth chart, I mean, yeah. what, what has Casey Sadiq has done anyway? <laughs> well, hopefully he scores here in overtime. They are killing off. <laughs> they are trying to kill off a penalty right now in the first overtime. Um, you know, Philadelphia is – I don't want to rule them out because they're obviously still in the series. But you watch them play, and I think I made this comment to you, Craig, last week before the series even started, even against Montreal – it felt like, you know how you watch some games and it's like, okay, I'm really just watching this one team and the other teams in the background. Yeah. Philadelphia won the series against Montreal, but it just felt like they were the background team. Like you're watching a sports movie and they're sort of the unnamed team, the, the, the main team is playing. I don't know why they're so anonymous with the pieces they have. They're in the second round of the playoffs and they're still alive, so I, I can't take that much away from them, but they're just so blah. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we remember how hot this team was, too, at the end of the season. And even then, I didn't believe in it. I, I do believe Elaine Vigneault is a great coach, and I think he's gotten the most out of this team. But it just, I don't know, something doesn't feel right. They they don't, I never believed, even though Ken Campbell was picking him to win the Cup. Uh, I, I just never saw it. I never saw this team being a legitimate contender. Wow, just because Ken Campbell said something doesn't mean it came true. That's shocking. Um, all right, well, let's leave this series. Maybe we'll come back with a, an update if it wraps up or before we uh, finish this show. Let's go to the Coyotes. Do you want to do this with the listener questions and then whatever's left over? If we didn't get to any sure. topics, we'll hit those. Okay, let's, uh, let's hit listener questions, and let's start with Murdoch. Which one of you three would be the best NHL GM? Oh, my God. It'd be a disaster. It'd be a disaster. It'd be a disaster for everybody involved. Um, I feel like Craig knows enough people that maybe he'd be the best. So the I can actually lean on a bunch of people. Look, I have yeah. no idea what I'm doing. What would you do in this situation? Yeah, okay. exactly. That would be if kind you, of my approach. If, if you end up in a major leadership position, you don't know what you're doing. You should lean on the people around you who do know what they're doing. So that would be a revolutionary move by you, Craig. This yeah. is going to pain me to say, I think Jamie would actually be a decent GM. And why is that? I don't know. I just, I feel like he's, he would take a very, I've I've played fantasy sports with Jamie before. He's just a very uh, analytical guy when he's not talking on this podcast. And I also feel like he's cold <laughs> and calculating and ruthless and doesn't care about anybody's feelings. Now, well, that's a certain true. point. Yeah. You need that as a GM, right? You have yeah, to. You oh, yeah, it's the Lou Amarello line, right? Don't yeah, fall yeah. in love with your players. <laughs> so in now case, somebody, somebody you got to dump them in the river. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my answer. Um, Okay. Because nobody came to my defense. I thought we were all going to just say nice things about each other. Right. But well, I guess you know, Jay, Jamie never. He gave. I guess I should say who I. Uh, yeah. No, I, it's, it's not. I think we'd all be awful. Sorry. <laughs> yes, we'd all be bad. <laughs> it would be a great job, though. I'd much rather. Uh, would you rather be a GM or a coach? I'd much rather be a GM than an owner. GM. Yeah, yeah GM. I kind of think I would too. I, I do feel like I could do a better job than some of the guys in the NHL, if that says anything. Um, dangle snipe belly. Even with the changes expected to be coming to the Coyotes, should we expect to be well better than the dark 70-point seasons? Just lie to me. Dangle Snipelli's got three questions. That's the first one. So let me, let me start by saying this, because obviously you know they, Coyotes have some issues now going forward. We don't know what this team's going to look like at the start of next season, but the way it is currently constructed, if the season started tomorrow, not having the draft picks this offseason and next offseason, that's going to hurt them down the line. If the season started tomorrow, I would still expect this to be a borderline playoff team. You haven't lost Darcy Kemper or your pieces yet. 
you lose Taylor Hall, obviously that's going to change things. But remember, Kemper only played about half of this season because of that injury. So to me, the issues are two or three years down the line, not necessarily next season. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And that's, I mean, draft capital is so important, especially when you need to fill in key pieces. They're just not going to be there now. They may try to do that. I don't know that you're going to get, you're, you're certainly not going to get a high first round pick for any of the pieces that you're moving. Well, I, I shouldn't even say that. I mean, if you move in Kemper or OEL, maybe you can get a pretty good pick. Um, but I, I just see so many important holes on this franchise, the same ones that we've talked about for so long. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would think if I were a GM coming in here. At, at, on, on the one hand, you can say, okay, there's some nice young pieces. And if those prospects pan out, particularly Barrett Hayton, maybe yeah. we'll be okay. On the flip side, do you, do you get to the point where you say, we can be a contender? I don't get there. Even if those guys pan out, I don't get to that point. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw it in, in this year's playoffs and, you know, with the, the chaos around the GM position and everything now and just, just the unknown. I mean, they may go out there and get a really good GM here. They're the only team, one of the very few teams, I guess I should say, looking for a GM at the moment. So, you know, in that sense, you can sort of take your pick in theory of the guys that are available. But, you know, to me, like I said, I think they, they, if the season starts tomorrow, they would be a fringe playoff team, but there are sure. clearly changes that need to be made to be able to beat a team like Colorado or Dallas or Vegas, or, you know, there's other teams coming up too. It's not like all the teams behind them in the standings are, are just not getting better. So you have to get that number one center at some point. If we're going to see, and I will say this, I know we'll talk about it a lot in the off season. If we're really going to see a big trade that involves a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson or a guy like Darcy Kemper, who might be the best goal in the NHL, if we really get to that point, you better find a way to get at least a center that is the clear number one on your team. And I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I think that's the only way you can make a move like that. You, you don't have any margin for error at that point. You're especially, particularly with Darcy camp, even though Ekman Larson is probably the biggest trade chip in terms of what you could get reward wise, your only major advantage right now over the rest of the league is your goaltending situation. And if you move on from that, you better make damn sure you're getting significantly better and that it's proven and it's not a, we hope to get better. We hope this guy develops into, you have to get a, a, I mean, you can never get a short thing necessarily, but as close to a short thing as possible. And look, the the, the issues that have played this team for ever continue to, to play the team as I, I agree with you, Luke, that as it stands now, they're still probably a, a wild card contender that that's fine. They can do that with the guys they have without having them make huge strides forward. But if you're going to be anything more than that, or anything more than maybe you went around, I just don't see it with this team without particularly guys like Keller and Schmaltz and Dvorak taking significant steps forward with the rest of the team not dropping off. Like, I still feel like this team has, doesn't have the pieces to be anything more than a fringe playoff team. They were basically on an 87-point pace this season if they played the full 82 games. And when you consider they added Taylor Hall, but they lost Darcy Kemp for, for a good half of that season. You know, but also Kemper played out of his mind when he did play. You have to factor in that maybe he comes back to earth a little bit. He can still be mm-hmm. one of the best goalies and come back, or maybe he's not here. I, I just... If the original question was, are we are we going to be going back to the dark seventy point days? No, I, this depending how many changes you make, but as it's currently constructed in Philadelphia, just one. So I just want to go cry. Um, <laughs> the uh, this team right now is still a fringe playoff team, but you've got you now have a major major problem you have to address. Big picture with those draft picks. Yep. 
Yeah. And again, there's so much speculation right now. It's, It's impossible to say what's going to happen until a new GM comes in. Look, What's happening with the Coyotes right now, everybody has seen the cuts that they're making left and right. They're, they're, they're slashing the heck out of that organization right now. And if you read the uh, piece that Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan wrote today on what NHL execs are thinking about what's coming with COVID, they're, they're forecasting very bad things. So it puts this in perspective a little bit, what, what's going on right now. So do the Coyotes want to uh, – is, is ownership, in fact, thinking we need to cut the heck out of this team? Do we, we need to gut it? to try and survive financially. If that's the case, then you have to look at moving some of those pieces, those key pieces, because the guys going into the final years of their contracts, those veterans that we've talked about so often, they're not going to bring you much. Even a guy like Nick Chalmerson is not going to bring much in return. If you are in fact committing to three and four years down the road, yes, you have to think about moving OEL. You have to move Darcy Kemper because you need to get some serious draft capital and some prospects back in return if you're, if you're looking three or four years down the road because none of those veterans are going to be here to do anything about it at that point. Yeah, just to put you in a weird spot. By the way, Flyers win in overtime. Yep. But um, the problem – one minute behind me. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I saw it before. I didn't want to interrupt, Craig. Oh, um, I did. Um, but – the, the issue they have there is you've, you've signed some guys already to these long-term deals, Keller, Dvorak, Schmaltz, Chikrin. I, you, it's tough to go into full rebuild mode because you have those players that aren't going to be the same, at least probably not going to be the same level four years from now that they are now. Those guys are also not particularly movable, aside from Chikrin, which I don't think you want to do. They're not really movable on the numbers of their current contracts, especially given the way the cap is going. Um, they're, in, they're in an unenviable spot right now, unless they get lucky with somebody. Does, does, does Barrett Hayton have, become, you know, Bo Horvat? You know, that's the comp I made way back when. Does, does, does somebody, do they get that sort of progression from somebody that is able to take them over the top on top of Schmaltz staying healthy and playing up to his full potential, on top of Dvorak staying healthy, playing like he has recently? Like, you need a lot of those things to happen all at the same time if this team is going to take a step beyond just being, hey, we're glad to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I think another thing that, that, that I, they're finally going to address this team needs to get bigger. This needs this team yeah. needs size and muscle. They don't have enough of it. They are too small, and I think that's going to be an emphasis as well. That that was my my worry with this team for a while. You know, it, it's it's tough to look at this situation now because the way they were building it, you know, a lot has changed in the last few months. Obviously, a global pandemic. You didn't foresee that, and, and all the implications that, as you're saying, Craig, that could have on 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 all the or a lot of the teams. You didn't expect your GM to not be here, whatever the, the real story is behind that, whatever, however that played out. But, you know, even even if you're just progressing year by year and you just made the playoffs, now you're looking towards next year, you're not making wholesale changes, you don't have to cut costs. They still weren't big enough to hang with a, a team like Dallas or Calgary or Vegas, and Colorado, obviously, even in a best of seven series. And that was a quiet fear I think a lot of us had, you know, even last year and, and most of this regular season the actual Stanley cup playoffs are a war of attrition and the coyotes are definitely on the smaller side of any playoff contending team in the NHL. Uh, more from dangle snipe belly. Does Luke get any solace from Philly eliminating the Habs or just more pain, uh, more pain. I would have much rather Montreal won that series and an update on Jamie's condiment bets. Jamie. 
the condiment. It was that the um, the Sabers one because I won that with somebody else. I brought it up on the show way back when that it was something like if the Sabers made the playoffs or something that uh, I would have to go to Vegas and get like condiments uh, splattered upon me. Yes. So obviously we're not allowed to talk or see anybody ever again. So that hasn't been done yet. But I do remember. I do remember that bet. And I do remember always ne- – I never regret betting against the Buffalo Sabres. Um, okay, we got to run through some of these because we're going to get cut off here shortly. Coyote and Philly, will Shane Doan rejoin the organization? And if so, in what role? I don't know. I don't get the sense that he's in the running for this current position. Um I think he still has the possibility of joining the the organization, maybe as an advisor in hockey ops or something like that, but I don't get the sense that he's a candidate for the GM spot. Uh, Coach East Jack, if, would you prefer the Coyotes acquire Brock Besser versus Johnny Gaudreau? Uh, either, I would take either. <laughs> uh, yeah, but i take Brock Besser, actually. I would take Besser, too, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, again, not a knock on Johnny Gaudreau, who was a hard trophy candidate but uh, a couple years ago, but they need – Coyotes in particular need more size. Um, Seth, what happens first? Max Domi comes back to Arizona because why would he? Or Arizona gets a true number one center. Well, Domi's not coming back to Arizona, so I no. guess my answer is number one center. I mean, eventually, right? If you play enough seasons, it's <laughs> Sunday. Uh, pained Coyotes fan, what are your thoughts on having this year be a retooling year versus a rebuild year? complicated yeah i mean we just talked about that a lot go ahead jamie it it would be ideal the problem is is when you're having a retooling year that means you have confidence in enough handful of pieces on your roster to make an immediate turnaround that you're going to be a significantly better team in a couple years based on some small to moderate roster changes i think to get this team to a multiple series playoff victories is going to need more than minor changes at least as it current states now asking a year and let's see what another year of Keller, Schmaltz, Dvorak, Chikrin, and company look like. Maybe then they can do that then, and that would be the hope. But I think if you're trying to retool this team to being a cup contender, it's going to take a luck, and it's going to take a few years, and it's only going to be made more difficult, as already brought up, the fact that you don't have a first-round pick in, you know, for like 18 years now. Uh, a couple more of these since we're running out of time. Booper, what move could the Coyotes make that would surprise you all? Are there any moves they should 100% make? Honestly, at this point, nothing would surprise me given the the direction of this club and how they're cutting. I, I Yeah, I, nothing will surprise me. We just talked about moving OEL and Darcy Kemper. Is there anything more surprising than that? Uh, no, Kemper's I, surprising. I, I, mean, I think we're move, at the – go ahead. But, well, I was going to say, if you move like Clayton Keller, that would surprise me for a few different reasons. That somebody would have traded for him in that contract. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're dealing with a completely different regime from top to bottom at this point, aside from the head coach right now. So, whatever way, whatever we thought, we thought, whatever we think, we thought, whatever they thought that we think that we thought. Jamie, just uh, you're, hurting, you're hurting my head. <laughs> Let's ask another question. <laughs> um, Kevin, now that Darren Ferris is Max Domi's agent, which Swiss team is Domi going to play for next season when he doesn't get a Mitch Marner contract? I just read that for Craig. Okay. Yeah. Um, here, let's close with this one because we have to, we need to talk about this anyway. Um, it's from Domsky, top three GM candidates for the Coyotes GM job. And I'm sorry I didn't get the rest of the questions, but uh, it's not my fault. 
I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it is wild to watch the parade of NHL recommended GM candidates go through the interviewing process with every team. We hear the same names get recycled and it's, it's almost like these courtesy interviews. You get like 10 names that you know are not getting the job. They get marched through. It's a bizarre process to watch. And the Coyotes are dealing with that like everybody else. But if I'm talking about serious candidates for this job, I mean, I've already put the names out there. I think Ron Hextall should be a serious candidate for this job. I think Ray Shiro should get some talk, and I haven't heard anything yet that they're actually going to be considering him. I think Sean Burke should get a look for this job. Those are some of the names out there that I think should get serious looks for the job. Yeah, we've talked about I would love it if they got Ray Shiro. Not to say those other candidates aren't uh, aren't good. I mean, there's (laughs) – Please tell me Peter Chiarelli is not, uh, not, is not in the top three. Okay, I have Thank been you. told that he is not even a candidate for the job. I wonder why. Hallelujah. Um, but, <laughs> but certainly certainly Ray Shiro would be, of the names we've heard, my first pick, with the caveat that I want Shane Doan involved in the organization. But we've seen Ray Shiro, I think, build the cup winners in Pittsburgh, and we've also seen him help a rebuild in New Jersey. In fact, ideally, you'd get Ray Shiro and then Peter Chiarelli would go somewhere else so you could rip off Chiarelli in a couple years and get a, a, a couple key pieces. Um, we've alluded to this. Let's, let's close with this. We've only got a couple minutes left. As far as the sanctions that came down from the NHL on the Coyotes, we've talked about how they don't have a lot of picks now all of a sudden in the next two years. I'll let you guys go with this, but uh, I was surprised. That's a lot more than the Houston Astros got for blatantly cheating in games to win a World Series. And it's a lot more than the New England Patriots got over 15 years of suspicious behavior. I didn't expect them to lose a first and a second round pick. I'll let Jamie go first for the multi-sport comparison. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there is. this is a fairly uh, unprecedented level um, for something that doesn't involve cheating or a scandal in season, in game. Uh, this is obviously a, a, an off the ice draft workout related. Um, you know, I don't know for sure, and it's all it's all speculation. My guess would be that there might have been some apprehension to find uh, a brand new owner in this environment who was not around when these transgressions took place. Um, I, I think if this were different circumstances, if this was old ownership, we weren't dealing with uh, post-COVID co- uh, economic concerns for the league, that, that there would have been a heavy fine levied. But I think that given the the players in this scenario, that they figured out that that it might, that might not make a ton of sense. And at that point, the only other thing you can do is take away draft compensation. And they took away a lot of draft compensation. This is one of those ones where, you know, you wish that you could fight this one back a little bit further if you're a, if you're a Coyotes fan or in the organization. But if it come, came down to the choice of finding an owner millions of dollars that wasn't around for this when they're dealing with economic issues and you're just happy somebody owns the team versus giving up draft capital, I can understand why that decision was made. Yeah, and I do think that played a major role here. But also the the, the penalty of two high draft picks uh, the Coyotes were surprised by this, by the severity of this. I think a lot of people were surprised by the severity of this, including some executives around the league that I spoke to. That's a that's a major penalty for the Coyotes that's going to impact them for several years. And there's a lot of value, obviously, in those draft picks. Look, something went wrong here. They, they obviously did something wrong. You saw Gary Bettman's wording that it was sort of gross negligence, but probably not willful, just more like cluelessness, not knowing the rules. And we talked about this way back I had some executives say, look, if you're not sure about something, just make a call. The league is there to service you. They should have done that. They blew that. 
But should they have been penalized, these two high draft picks? You're talking about a franchise that Gary Bettman really wants to survive in the desert. He's worked very hard to make it happen, and yet he just hammered them. I really think that the attitudes of other teams and how how loudly they were howling about this played a role in how the Coyotes got punished here. Nobody's going to make this mistake again, but the Coyotes got the hammer dropped on them. They really did. I would have thought, like, even if it had been just a third-round pick one year, I would have been like, okay, that's more than I expected, but here we are. All right, gentlemen, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Vegas and Vancouver starting up. Thanks to uh, Jamie Eisner for Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you ought to, because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmar, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom... Come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network.